Anyone have a really good like catchphrase? Um, I asked my kids this, which was possibly a mistake because it was really convicting and sad kind of. And I was like, that's the things I say? Uh, mostly about like if they're watching too much screen time. And anyway, uh, if I had a reality TV show, uh, I think we'd call it Drew TV and it would be, it'd be on True TV. Uh, and uh, there'd probably be lots of funny things. There'd be some silly things. Oh, my name is Drew, by the way. Uh, not spelled that way, <laughs> the pastor here at uh, Hope Heights. And um, there'd be some silly things. Uh, just the idea of thinking of like recording most of my day uh, makes me a little uncomfortable because I know there'd be some not so great moments, some things I uh, would not want to see again or have others see. Um, I think it's maybe just the way I interact with a person or my family or uh, maybe that conversation you have that you no one else is around, so you aren't worried about that being broadcast. Uh, there'd probably be lots of beard maintenance. That's a good two, three hours of my day. Uh, there'd be moments of me distracted by YouTube videos, uh, mostly of uh, how to build your own RV, which I get sucked into. Uh, they're all the same, and I'm never going to do that. Uh, or videos on French Bulldogs or SNL clips. Or uh, I did ask some people what my catchphrase would be. So if my show blew up and all of a sudden they're selling T-shirts with my Fetch phrase on it. Uh, it'd be wild, was a few people said. I like to say the word wild. I got a confirmation, I think, from that. Awesome. Someone said buddy. Someone said, you always call me buddy. Uh, it's because I don't know his name. But <laughs> that's. And my kids unanimously said, oh, butts, would be my catchphrase. They said, dad, sometimes when you're frustrated, you say, oh, butts. And I said, oh, cool. I'm glad that's, that's my legacy that I'm passing down. <laughs> To my kids. You can see that uh, every Tuesday night on Drew TV. <laughs> um, there's an old theologian, not actually that old, 20th century theologian named Francis Schaeffer, some of you may know, and he gives this uh, great image. He says, if you're unsure of, um, of your own uh, brokenness, he says, imagine if you had an invisible tape recorder. That does kind of date when he's talking about this. <laughs> a tape recorder that hung around your neck. I always picture myself as the rock in scenarios. So imagine you had a tape recorder around your neck and it recorded everything you said all day about people, to people, even though you whisper under your breath. You could imagine even if that tape recorder could record your thoughts. And if you took that tape recorder of your whole life, all that you said about people and to people, and you brought it the day you passed away, the day you meet God and you stand before him, and you handed that tape recorder to him and he could, he could see all that you've said, I think it'd be quite easy to understand I got, I got some stuff going on, that there's some brokenness. It would not be very hard to consider myself a sinner, someone who's not always done the right thing or treated people the right way if you just listened to the words I said my whole life. I, I, I don't share this because I want us all to come, oh, you're all terrible and you should say nicer things. But today's passage that we're in, in the book of Romans, is going to speak to this idea of how we speak about others, how we think about others, the motivation of our heart as we interact with others and we interact with ourselves, this idea of what it looks like to judge others, how it's just built into us. And in our brokenness, there's, a, there's always seems to be opportunities to speak of others poorly or at least of ourselves better or at least, or, or figure out a way that I can feel better or look better 
And so it, it's really built in. I think if we had this invisible tape recorder and we stood before God, it, it wouldn't go well. He'd say, huh, interesting that you said those things about those people or with these people. And so as we continue our study in the book of Romans, uh, we are gonna look at this exact topic. What does that look like? Maybe why does that happen? And then thankfully, Paul even gives us what it looks like to be people who don't do that. And the answer isn't to stop doing it. Um, and I'm really encouraged today by this passage in my own life. Uh, and so excited to look at what would that look like to be people who see others differently and how do we get there? So we are in this book of Romans. We have lots of resources that hope for that. We still have scripture journals if you like one. Uh, they're free to you. They'll be out on the tables. We have uh, our Untangled uh, podcast, which is walking through the book of Romans. And we have lots of resources on our app, on our phone, on the phone, and also on our website, uh, sermons and studies and all sorts of things. So we'd love for you to be able to, to use those to continue diving into this and, and interacting with God's word together. Today, though, we are in chapter two. We made it. We have graduated from one. You get that gold star. We made it through chapter one. And just a reminder, the book of Romans doesn't actually have chapter numbers. Originally, it was written by a person named Paul, and he wrote a letter to a church, people who were in Rome, people who probably sat around in their homes and read this whole letter together as one sitting. They didn't meet for weeks and maybe a year or two and, and really dissect the letter. They just read the letter. And so Paul is in this first section of the letter. He reminds everyone that the, of the great power of the gospel, this good news that Christ has come to rescue us, to, to save us. There's salvation. And every day, uh, us putting our faith in that work, in that good news of Christ changes us. And that's what brings salvation. That's what brings life is putting faith in Christ, in Christ alone. And then he turns quickly in the rest of the book, in the rest of that chapter one, and he explains what it looks like when we don't turn to Christ and all that comes, including the wrath of God in that. And so we looked at that for a while and now we are moving on to chapter two, which I think takes a really cool, interesting turn, which hopefully will help maybe convict our hearts a little bit and also free us of what does it look like to live a life uh, as Christ has made us and called us to. So let's just read the passage here. I'll read it. All the passages will be up on the screen. Uh, I'd love for you to follow along in your own Bibles or just, just with us on the screen. This is from Romans 2. And we're doing just the first four verses this week. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment to do the, do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? We're gonna take this in kind of two chunks. The first part here, we're gonna talk about this idea of, of a people who are judging another group of people. And what does that look like? Why does that even happen? It starts here with the word you. This is really important because this hasn't happened really a lot in the book so far. So far, we've been referring to they. This is a moment in, in the book of Romans where uh, we believe this was probably written to this group of Christians who might've primarily, or at least there was some there who would have Jewish descent, um, who, would have a, who would be ethnically Jewish. And there have been people in those churches that were Gentile. Gentile would be people who just weren't Jewish. And there was still in the church was an issue where sometimes Jewish people thought because they were God's chosen people that they were still better than those Gentiles. In fact, historically in the Old Testament, Gentiles are called dogs, animals, often like referred to as less than. 
And culturally, they would have looked around themselves and seen uh, an empire where people were worshiping a person, were worshiping animals, were, were giving sacrifices, were, were uh, acting, their behavior was connected to uh, worship of, of statues and animals and things. And so, so they might've been thinking that as Paul describes all these ways they turned from God, they, they would have been thinking, oh, they, those people, those people, what are they doing? And then we'll get there. And then he now says, you, therefore. And this, this could have been, uh, commentaries think maybe it could have just been a different group of Gentiles. But we know that not long after this in the book of Romans, I think it's, it's 2, 7, 17, uh, he actually says, you Jews. And we believe this is where it switches, where he's saying, you might've been passing judgment on these people, but you're actually in the same boat. So this, this thing happens. This actually reminds me of, I think in life, maybe you've had this happen. I've had a uh, mom a few times say this, where you're pointing at someone. You ever had this? You're pointing at someone, you're pointing three fingers back at yourself. Have you heard this? That was kind of the way to, get her, to stop me from judging my brother uh, as I was a kid, to stop pointing things out to him. She'd say, you're doing three times as worse, right? I don't know if that was mathematically correct. We also learned this idea of people passing judgment on people is not a healthy one for relationship. There's actually a study done. I don't know if a study was needed for this, but they found out that those who habitually point out other people's faults make the least desirable partners. That's one of those studies where you're like, I could use some grant money for, <laughs> if you, I'm wondering if you poke people in the eye, if they don't want to hang out with you. It's going to take me a couple years. I'm going to have to ask a lot of people. Anyway, uh, this doctor actually did a study on this idea of people who are, are often pointing out people's faults and if they are, people are interested in being partners and, and friends with them and they're not. I, I mean, this, is, this doesn't seem like mind blowing, right? If, if you have that friend or those people who are doing that all the time, you tend to not want to hang out with them or you tend to change kind of how you hang out with them or you just, uh, they, they, there's not a deepening of that relationship because of that. And in this passage, we see this happening. Yeah, uh, we're gonna look at this in a second, but in Romans one, the word they is used. So they're doing this, they're doing this, they're doing this, they are doing this. And then here Paul says, you though, you're doing this. You're passing this judgment on them. You're doing the same thing. You're in the same boat. So this, this is what happens in Romans. Just a little snippet here of Romans 1 as we get the feel for what was being said. If you could feel that build even as maybe people were reading this and they were going, yeah, Paul. Yeah, they're doing that. They're doing that. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God's wrath is coming to these people who are ungodly, who are turning from God, who are suppressing the truth. Remember this? We hear, saw the image of someone holding a... Uh, a uh, beach ball under the water. They're like holding the truth down. So they're without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they exchanged futile, became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So we talked about this exchange that happens. We turn our gaze and our worship to things that aren't of God, right? Or they do. They turn their gaze to things. This, this might have actually been easy to see because they literally would have seen statues of animals or things around them where people were worshiping or get, giving money to or food to saying, please do things for me, I'll do things for you. This, this idea of worship that was different uh, than God had called them to. And so, so this is, again, you see the word, they knew God, they did not honor God. And so as this is being read, even in that moment, Paul is anticipating 
It might be easy to go, yeah, they are doing that. Yeah, I see people all the time doing that. Even some of you in our church used to do that. And maybe you still do that. And as Romans 1 continues to go on, verse 29 through 32, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, uh, covetedness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, uh, maliciousness. They were gossip, slanderers, haters of gods, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. It goes on and on. Foolish, faith, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This would have been like, yes, they are doing all those things. And Paul just wants to be really clear, Right? Because he knows in this moment, they're like, ugh, those people. What are we gonna do with them? And then I can just, you can feel it uh, as if Paul was there with them and they'd roll their eyes. And as they open their eyes, he'd say, and you. And you go, oh, that's not a you like, way to go, you. <laughs> that's a you. You have no excuse. You're passing judgment on them. You're saying, you're, you're pointing them out and saying, you're terrible, you're garbage. What are the words we like to use, right? Maybe in our culture, you, 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 you're a mere human being passing judgment. Now the word judgment here is important to understand. This doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you can never say, don't tell anyone anything. It, it means not, hey, hey, I don't think this is helpful for you. Hey, this is, seems really unhealthy. This doesn't bring life. To you, this isn't what God's called us to. It's look at you and you're less than me. You're worthless. I'm so much better than you. It, it's, a, it's the thing that God does where he said, knows their heart and their motive and says, hey, you're turned away from me. You're worshiping other things. It's, it's not just a help, helping a friend out saying, hey, this isn't life. Sometimes it happens, right? I, I think culturally it happens where we go like, we're not, we, can't let, we can't tell someone if they're heading towards something that's hurtful. This, this is saying, no, you, have, you think you're better. In fact, you think you're better in front of God. In fact, you might even think you have yourself uh, created righteousness. You're right with God because you're so good. And look at those people, they who are not so good. John Stott says, we work ourselves up into a state of self-righteous ignitation over the disgraceful behavior of other people. Oh, I have absolutely been there. That tape recorder has recorded some of those moments. Oh, those people, I would never do that. I can't believe they do that. They're so dumb. They're so evil. They're so terrible. You'd never catch me there. While they have the same behavior, while the very same behavior seems not nearly so serious when it is ours rather than theirs. Whew, that's a convicting one. I was trying to think this week. I thought maybe I can think of some of those moments and it took maybe like three seconds to think of like six of those moments in my life. It was a moment when I, uh, the moment when I see someone else like on a phone and they're, and I'm like, that person should be engaging the people around them on their phone. They shouldn't just be like at a coffee shop with friends and not, and then it's two seconds later. I'm like, oh, I wonder what's going on. Can you not talk to me? Right, it's the, oh, your kids uh, watch the screens, huh? Oh, never at my house. Okay, you're really loud. Could you just go watch some screens? Oh, it's the uh, texting and driving. I, except like I got to figure out the maps and then someone, I got to figure out where we're going to be there. And I guess Kelly's got to text me to see when, like, what I got to pick up at Aldi. Very quick, 
One of my favorites, a friend pointed out this week, he said, I've gotten so much flack if I say the word, I saw something on TikTok, if I say that phrase. He's had some friends who have been like, we need to sit down. Uh, this TikTok's destroying you. What are you thinking? He said, and then we're hanging out and then they're just watching you know, Facebook reels all day. <laughs> He's like, you know, those are TikTok videos, right? They just put on to... I, we felt this uh, when we got our dog. We got our dog from a dog rescue and I remember meeting someone and I said, oh, there's like, oh, you got your dog. How did you get him? And we said, oh, he's from a rescue. He only, remember he has one eye. He didn't have a real great childhood. And, uh, and they said, oh, good. Cause you don't want to be one of those people who buys their dog, you know? And I'm like, oh, I don't, I didn't know that. It's like, oh, I just, I got righteousness. I didn't even know that that was a thing. I bet you could think of a hundred more, right? Oh, they're doing that thing and how quickly my thing isn't. Say, why do I, I'm doing that because I love feeling like I'm better. I love feeling, even not that I'm better, but just it feels good to think that I'm not like terrible. It feels good to think maybe I'm doing some things right. This isn't new though to God's people and it shouldn't be new to these Jewish people that he's speaking to here because their history and this story might be the most popular storyline in scripture. I just, I'm just gonna quick zip through three of them. You remember this story when um, God's people were rescued by God? They were uh, enslaved in Egypt and God had this amazing thing. He pulls them out of there over and over, miracles happening, gets them through the desert. They think they're done for and he makes a way he opens, they should be dead. And he makes a way through the waters and they go through the waters and then they're in Egypt. And Moses goes up to a mountain to get the word from God. He goes to meet God and bring back the tablets and say, this is what life looks like. This is what it looks like to live uh, real life. And they're saying, oh, thank God, we're, we're away from those, those pagans, those Egyptians who worshiped animals and insects and their emperor and uh, terrible and Moses leaves and the first thing they do is they say, let's gather our jewelry and make a golden idol to worship. How, how quickly they, they do the same thing. The same thing. They turn to created things instead of their creator. And the history continues on. Do you know this story? Is, this is a, a great story of this moment where Nathan, the prophet, comes to David, the great king, the one who slayed Goliath, the one who has become king. And in his power, he sees a woman bathing and he says, I want that woman. And he has that woman's husband killed. He sends her husband off to war in the front of the war, in the front lines. And so he'll be killed. And so he can marry Bathsheba. Actually has a child with her. And his friend, Nathan, comes not in judgment like God, but he comes actually from God. God says, you need to go talk to him. And he tells them this amazing story about someone else who's done similar thing. And David becomes quite upset. Even the king, the great King David is one who would pass great judgment on others, forgetting that he himself is in the same place of sin. Or we see in this story, Jesus tells this great parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. They go and they're both praying. If you remember this story and the Pharisee is praying, thank you, God, that I'm not like that tax collector. What a, what a miserable person, almost not human in the things they do. Jesus encouraging us to consider maybe what's going on there. There's something wrong in the heart of that Pharisee. 
did something very right in the heart of this sinner, this tax collector who's saying, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And so uh, just a reminder, we see hundreds of these stories in scripture. The same thing happens over and over. This is really the foundation of what sin is. And Paul here wants to remind them, this is, this is an issue. This is a big deal that you think you have, you're right with God and those people are not right with God. In fact, we're all in the same boat. We're all stuck in the same boat. I actually wanna zoom into this story a little bit, this story of, uh, of Nathan and David, because I think it is really uh, a picture of the same conversation. In fact, a few commentators said they wondered if Paul was thinking of this story as he wrote these words. Words of the, one of the great, if not the greatest kings, one of the great uh, uh, symbols of the Jewish people, King David. And here's a moment that Nathan then comes to him. This is from 2 Samuel. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there are two men in a certain city, one rich and, one, and the other poor. Parable is like a parable. So there's two men, one's rich and one's poor. The, other, the rich man had many, very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children and it used to eat his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Can you imagine that? It's like the little pet lamb, <laughs> the morsel and the drink and the cup. Now there came a traveler to the rich man. The rich man was unwilling to take one of his own flock or his herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But instead he takes the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. See this great story, he's really setting this up. There's this rich man who has all these lambs and could, could create a, a great feast to, to welcome, to be hospitable to this guest. And instead he, he steals the one lamb that this, this poor man has, the one he loves so dearly. And what happens? He's telling David this story. David has just had a man killed so that David could take his wife. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he says to Nathan, listen to the words he says about this man. As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. They should kill that man. Taking that guy's lamb. He's got plenty of his own lambs. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing because he had no pity. I mean, do you feel the, the irony there? Did you imagine if you were standing in the room? You imagine like there's like a servant that's picking up a tray and they're like, what? <laughs> are you hearing yourself, David? Do you hear the words that are coming out of your mouth? Nathan said to David, as he should, you're the man, you Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this is too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? To you, what is evil, uh, to do what is evil in his sight. Do you see what's happening? Nathan's saying it was about you. I was trying to tell you a story. So maybe you woke up a little bit. Do you see what you're doing here? You're a great sinner. I worry you don't know it. And this is exactly where Paul takes us in the second part of this passage. Listen to these words. They're so similar to Nathan's words from God. 
And do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, his restraint, his patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Look back at the words here. Look what he says. He says he's deli- all these things he's done. The Lord anointed you king over Israel, delivered you out of the hand of Saul, gave you your master's house and your master's wives and your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. If that's too little, there's plenty more I could give to you. I could remind you of the goodness and kindness of God. And now Paul is saying, do you, do you not remember the, the, the kindness, the rich kindness, the patience, God, the mercy God has shown to you? Those things were to cause you to turn to him. Those things weren't given to you so you could use them to get more things, to make yourself more powerful, more righteous. Aaron Menikoff says this in his book, Character Matters. Our only hope in light of all this bad news is the kindness of God. The only way to escape this judgment is to embrace his kindness, a kindness we all once spurred. Thankfully, God can melt the coldest heart. He can lift up the lowest, lowliest sinner. His kindness sprinted towards us even when we ran away in unbelief. The kindness of God, the, the good news, the gospel is what changes us and turns us back towards God so that we stop turning towards the people around us, using them to make ourselves feel right. When we're reminded we are great sinners, I think I myself, I feel like, oh, it's terrible. I hate that feeling. I am broken. I'm a sinner. I turn from God. And so I want as quickly as I can make myself feel not like a sinner. And often the first response is, who can I find that's worse than me? Okay. Instead, Paul's reminding us, no, you, you turn to the Lord. Remember what he has done. Hold on to that, that sit. Say, I am a sinner. I'm broken. And then turn to the one who has saved you. It's not you. And actually we see this play out in the story. Look what happens here. He says, David, you're the man. Look at all that God has done for you. And then David actually acts out this thing that we see in Romans. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Just, he's confessing, I am. I'm broken too. I turn from God too. I exchange created things for creator. I look to things around me <laughs> to fulfill me and satisfy me and they don't. And often I, I sin against many other people and that list is true of me too. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. What, a, what an amazing phrase. This is the gospel in one sentence. The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. You did deserve to die. Just like that rich ruler who took away the lamb from that poor man. You're right, he should die. But God has decided in his mercy to not do that, to give you life. I think this is, this is our answer to what does it look like to be people that God's called us to. People who don't just continue to pass judgment. It's really hard because I think we live in a place uh, and we are encouraged almost in that. How can I put myself in a, in a certain camp and then look over to that other group of people and say, they're terrible. And we all go, yeah, they're terrible. Woo, good thing we're good. We're right. We got it together. Oh, it's like all day encouraged. We, we have to constantly figure out ways to, to, uh, to juke the like, you might be broken and throw back judgment towards others, deciding who's right and who's wrong. Uh, 
not recognizing or, or not admitting, yeah, I am broken in need of one to save me. And he has in his great kindness and it should pull me towards him. I think even I found uh, in my own life, sometimes I see kindness and mercy from a person uh, that's seen almost as weakness. Oh, I forgave that person? Oh, I wanna see someone like powerful. I wanna see someone destroy someone. If, I, if I'm gonna click on a video, I'm gonna click on the one that says like, watch this guy, destroy this guy. And you watch the video and they just have like a civil conversation. You go, oh, I guess he didn't destroy him. But you wanna see that. This week, something happened that really helped me understand, really helped me think, reminded me of how this works. And so this is my hope here. We can be reminded here as we end of how this actually works. This week was St. Patty's Day, but it was also another very important holiday. Anyone know what holiday was this week? It was Pi Day. It was Pi Day. Um, not this kind of pie, but my daughter has been asking me, she's learning how to make Google Slides, it's cool. She's been asking if she can make a slide. So this officially, friends, slide is brought to you by Zariah Zolke. <laughs> this pie slide, isn't that great? Yeah, give her a round of applause. We're gonna remember this someday when she's a professional slide maker. Uh, it's pretty good, actually. She had to Google a lot of pies to make that. Not that kind of pie, but the number pie this week. Uh, on 314 was, uh, we celebrate the number pi. This was a little near and dear to my heart as a math leak growing up, as a kid who would actually sit around with other math kids and we'd practice math so we could compete against other people in math. Uh, it's wild to like say that out loud to people. <laughs> I, lo I loved it though. It was it, great, great fun. Memories being regional champs a couple years in middle school. This number is this cool number that, that, that like has no end if you know what pi is. People just love this number. This number is one that's been for many, many years uh, uh, thought about. It's been wondrous. It's one that people have dedicated their lives to. The Babylonians used the fraction three and one eighth, and that kind of started off the Chinese. Uh, we'd use the number three as they're trying to figure out uh, circles. By 1665, Isaac Newton had calculated 16 decimal places of pi. And this guy right here, this is Dutch-German mathematician, Ludolf von Kuhlen. We all know him, right? Cool man. Uh, he is known because he gave his life to pi. This is incredible. He's like one of these people who just, when you think of pi, you think of Ludolf. In fact, the, the legend, he calculated up to 36 digits. It was a big deal in the 16th century. And the legend is that he actually had it engraved on his gravestone. He gave his life to pie. He loves pie, obviously. I mean, this, this number is incredible. I remember learning it and being so excited that there was a number like you can't see an end to. It's that enormous. It's that spectacular and wondrous. Look at this. This is just a thousand digits of pie. How incredible is that? Or how about 10,000 digits of pie? One of them's off. So if you find out which one's off, I got a quarter for you that you get as a reward. This is 10,000 digits of pi. This is a number that just keeps going. I was going to do more digits and then it like messes up your computer because it's like a giant file because every digit is like a whatever, a kilobyte or however that works. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is making my presentation file giant, putting some numbers in it. This is crazy, 3.14159. You could just get lost in how enormous and incredible pi is so much that Ludolf spent his whole life, only got to 36 of them. 
but was fascinated by this number. I, one of the things I loved about math was these moments or about learning about space was these moments of things that just went on and were massive and incredibly kind of like changed me. It would move me. I think in the same way that, that uh, Ludolf was moved by pi, I think this is what it looks like for us. As we looked at this last part of this passage, what does it look like to have the kindness and mercy of God move us to repentance? It's just turning to God. What does it look like to have God's kindness and goodness move us? I think what it is, is we're not, I'm not at least putting some of these things in front of me. I'm spending my time looking at people around me. Uh, How can I use them for sometimes just to get approval or comfort or love? Sometimes I just want to use them so it makes me feel more right. Rather than saying, hey, we're all kind of broken and turning to the the one who real kindness comes from, real grace comes from, real love comes from, real holiness comes from, right? And then as I spend a life dedicated to this, each day going, I wanna learn more about the kindness of God, the goodness of God. Then, the, then there's more, right? All of a sudden I find more digits in this, in this category. I find out God is just and he's jealous and he's wise and he's merciful and he's eternal and he's loving. He's a great shepherd and he's my advocate. He's my father. I find there's great joy in him. All of a sudden I go, whoa, this God is enormous and overwhelming. And it, I, I can't not turn to him. And then I live another day and another week and another month and I experience more suffering and more people and more brokenness. And I go, holy cow, God, you're even bigger and grander. And some of those things repeat. I hear uh, every day I feel his mercy and his love and his kindness. And then we get up to 10,000 digits right? We get to where we go, holy cow, every day, God, I'm in your word and I'm learning how enormous you are and how good you are, how merciful you are, how much life comes from following you. And it makes me want to continue to turn to him. As Paul tells us that kindness and mercy of God, the good news, right? The good news, the gospel causes us to turn to him. Instead of pointing a finger at judgment of those around me, the answer is not stop judging The answer is turn my gaze to the one who provides all that my heart desires and more, who has rescued me. Turning my eyes to Jesus and to the cross, the one who (laughs) saves my life, the one who could have left me and said, you do deserve death. And he says, no, not today. I'm gonna show great mercy to you. As King David felt and saw that day, we too receive great mercy each day reminded of this good gospel, a God who comes, a wonderful amount of kindness, a great, a great amount of mercy and overwhelming love of a God who's willing to lay down his life so that we could be made right. So we say often, uh, we gotta remind ourselves of the gospel every day. Preach the gospel ourselves every day. Find community with people who continue to remind you of the gospel. It's not just because that's like our brand, and it's like a cool thing to do together. It's because it's the thing that turns us to the Lord. That's the thing that changes our hearts. That's the thing that makes us more human and more alive and brings us life. That's what brings us righteousness. So when we stand one day before God and we have our tape recorder, right? We aren't standing before God. Because if you just listen to my tape recorder, not, it's not good news for Drew. Oh, buts, <laughs> I'm in some trouble but instead we stand with Jesus. He sees the Lord. He says, oh, you've put yourself in him. I see Christ in his perfect life, 
in his death and resurrection. And I see now you too have righteousness because of the great work he has done. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, uh, this has been really helpful to me uh, in my life. He says, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. Seeking after the Lord. It's less if I spend my day trying to just not do the list of sins, I have not spent my day just turning myself and being reminded of his goodness and kindness, which will change me and allow me to go live a life without sin. Actually with sin until one day I won't sin, but the goal is not to just don't sin. (laughs) The goal is to turn ourselves to the one who brings us kindness and mercy. And I think we spend a lot of time trying not to be them. And we spend a lot less time turning to the one who will change us and rescue us. Each day, there's so much mercy and kindness to be reminded of. I pray to people who would would do that. I'm gonna invite our worship team up here so that uh, we can continue to worship. That's one of the things we do every week is we sing together because the words we sing remind us of this. There's weeks that I sing and something hits me and I go, oh, that's true about who you are. And then it makes me wanna sing more because I'm reminded of this goodness and kindness of God. A few things to consider as we respond to the gospel here together. Um, Do you know the kindness of God ultimately given in Christ? If this is an opportunity for you right now today to say yes to Jesus, I believe. I wanna turn to you. I wanna follow you. Who do you think that you're better than? This is a great question each day to maybe ask. Am I putting myself in that position where I have turned my gaze away from the Lord and turned to, to me being God and getting to judge those around me? Maybe ask, who is your Nathan? Do you have a person or maybe people willing to see your sin and point you to life? People aren't there to say, you're terrible, figure it out. People will say, hey, that, remember how you like had your, that lady's wife, husband killed so you can marry her? That wasn't a good move. <laughs> Hopefully that's not. <laughs> Do you have that person? I, man, we need those people. We need to be able to be Nathans in one another's lives, knowing it brings people to life and to the Lord. And then who, who do you know? Maybe you'll meet someone this week who needs to know about the kind and patient God that we have. Knowing who that God is is what's gonna turn us to that God. It's really important. We have a few things now we're gonna do as we respond to the gospel. We do every week here at Hope. Um, out in the hallways, there's opportunities to take communion. This is something you don't need to be a member here at Hope, but we encourage you, we want you to be a follower of Jesus. Communion is an opportunity to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus suffered that death that we should have had for our sin so that God could say, death isn't coming to you today. It's already come to Jesus. And so we get to celebrate that in communion. We also sing and and sing these words together. There's people in the back of the room who would love to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything, they love to. You also can always respond by giving uh, and continue to support the ministry here of hope. You can do that online. Let me pray for us and we'll continue to worship. Lord, thank you for your kindness towards us. I pray that good news, that gospel would be very real, that it would land on us and it would cause us to turn our gaze from those around us and the things around us, the situations, the all that, that clouds our vision, that blocks our vision, that we turn to you. And that out of that, you change us, change our hearts and our minds. I pray too, Lord, that you would provide people in our lives that would continue to turn us towards you and that we too could be people who would help others do that. Thank you, Lord, for, your, for an opportunity to worship you together today. Amen.